The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merritt, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Sports Talk New York, New York's premier sports talk program right here on WGBB, 1240 AM, 516-623-1240, the phone number to get in touch with us. Mike Trezza with you for the next hour, along with the coach, Mike Gadone. We've got a great show tonight. Bob Herzog, former Newsday writer, will be with us. Later on in the hour, we have Chuck Everson, former pro, former NCAA champ in men's hoops back in the 80s, now host of his own podcast. We'll talk to him. Before we do any of that, he proves it every year. He proved it again this year. Why we call him the coach fresh off another Long Island championship, my partner, Mike Adon. Trez, you're always too kind, but thank you. Yeah, we had a, uh, once again, wonderful season over at Locust Valley with our girls' basketball team. Uh, but uh, season came to an end last night, which was okay in our regional final, and now we're here on the talk show ready to go. This is my favorite time of year. you got baseball, spring training, football draft coming up, uh, March Madness is upon us. Uh, just, just we're going to get over everything, and can't wait to have Bob on tonight to talk some rules with him and also Chuck. For people who are fans of the show, where can they catch us on social media, Mike? All over Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at WGBB Sports Talk and WGBBSportsTalk.com. Yeah, so spring training now underway. Obviously, the Mets and Yanks are going to be big, big factors this year. A lot of new rules. And when we have Bob on, we will talk to him about that. But before we do, Mike, let's, uh, let's squeeze in, uh, a moment or two on Islanders. All right. Okay. I'm going to hit you with something <laughs> that I know is not going to make you happy. Well, of course. If not. John Santa Maria, Johnny Sticks is listening, it's not going to make him happy. No. It's not going to make a lot of our listeners happy. Today on March 12th, I am going to predict the New York Islanders are not going to make the playoffs. doesn't make me happy, but it's not surprising. I, I can't disagree with you. I mean, last night, all right, I know it's only one game, but you take a look at the Islander game last night. They're at home against Washington to lose 5-1 to one in that game. They really let that get away late. They did. It was, it was, it was close. I, I, I just don't, you know, I know it's so easy to point to the coaching and everything, and again, as a coach myself, not on a professional level, but as a coach, um, I just I I haven't seen this team, even though they're supposedly ahead, and and they are points wise, just have that that fire that they had last year, um, you know, under Barry Trotz. I give Lamarillo credit as the GM made some nice trades. He, he's you know he's trying to get things done, but there's they just. It just doesn't look like they've gelled all season long. And, you know, when you see the Rangers making all the big moves that they did, although they lost today in, in overtime, tough one to the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, you know, they're on a whole nother level. So the Islanders, yeah, they're, they're kind of, it's like they're, they're the dog at the table looking for scraps, just trying to get in. Meanwhile, the Rangers, they made a big move, uh, during the week. 
Well, when you you get Patrick Kane coming in, and I mean, they 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 are star studded to begin with, and then you know once you make those those big time trades for guys who have playoff caliber, um, you know, big time. That's what they needed because they were kind of a younger team last year. So I see them going very far. My Islanders, yeah, it's it, it's it's upsetting, but but you're you're stating the obvious here. I. I for them to make the playoffs, I think, is going to be a monumental task, even though they're right there on the edge. So we're coming down the stretch of the hockey season, but let's shift away from that. Let's talk some baseball. And, you know, it's funny, Mike. Now that the rules are changing, there are a lot of guys who want to consider themselves sort of the guardians of the game. But to me, a guy like our guest we're about to bring on is really a guardian of the game. He covered the Yankees, covered the Mets, covered MLB for so long for the great newspaper Newsday. He's our buddy, Bob Herzog, and he joins us now. Bob, Mike and Mike, how are you? Good to hear you guys, except uh, hockey is not my thing, so I'm glad you got me on to get rid of that hockey stuff. <laughs> no problem, Bob. Uh, so, Bob, you know, um, a lot of people are talking about the new rules, and, you know, not surprisingly, it's a little bit of a mixed bag. There's been a lot of debate, especially about the pitch clock. The pitch clock, now 15 seconds between pitches. What's your opinion of that? And also, do you have any concerns related to uh, player safety, specifically with pitchers related to that? Uh, yes, I have a strong opinion, and I have opinion to your last part, too. So um, I'm not against the pitch clock. I, I actually think it's, it's okay. I think that... Um, you know the Mike Hargroves of the world took it to such to such extremes, and uh, so I'm glad that they're trying to speed it up. Maybe off the early returns, 15 seconds is too too short. Maybe it should be 20. Um, and maybe this is my radical thing, which I'm unveiling to you guys for the first time. This is my A scoop. I love it. But this is my radical thought, and nobody asked me. It's not Commissioner Herzog is not your guest. <laughs> But I think they should turn the clock off in the ninth inning and in extra innings. Because there's a lot of people that say they miss that cat and mouse game, that give and take, that take a deep breath. You know, the game's on the line. You know, in an eight nothing game, it's not going to matter. Clock, no clock. But you know, when it's tense in the, in the, in the ninth inning and then in extra innings, does anybody who's really a baseball fan mind if it takes a little longer? So that's my radical thing. Um, I, I don't think that's going to happen right away. That's a, you know, they're going to, maybe they'll tweak it down the road, but I certainly can understand the thought that, well, you know, it's what's, it's not so bad that they, that they step off and they take a deep breath and they consider, you know, there's so much on the line. So that, so, so I immediately thought, well, okay, maybe we should shut it off in the ninth inning like they shut the clock off at the last, you know, Two minutes, and you know they there's some things they do with the clocks and with timeouts and stuff in other sports. So that's that's my radical thought. But overall, I think it's a good idea. I hope that we don't start getting um, stupid stuff happening like those game-ending clockouts. They're calling them. That would be horrible. I applaud baseball for putting it in right away in spring training from day one, so nobody can say it snuck up snuck up on them. You, you can learn it now. You've had, you'll have whatever number of weeks, two months, six weeks, whatever number 
of weeks before the season starts to get it right, and then you'll just get in the batter's box and be ready. Uh, I certainly would not want us to win a game or lose a game because somebody didn't get in the box with when the clock was at 8. So to me, that is stupid. Um, but it, assuming that, it, and that's why I'm thinking maybe 20 is a good number, some guys just need to use the rosin bag, take a breath, you know, look at their infield alignment, you know, whatever. Think. That should be allowed. But I, I, I'm okay with, with the rule, whether it's going to stay exactly the same. I have, I have no idea. But um, assuming we don't get the stupid stuff that's, all, that, that's happened a little bit in spring training, then I, I think that the players will, will adjust because it's their livelihood. And uh, I did a little homework to be on your show just so that I didn't sound completely stupid. <laughs> and uh, I see that it, it, they basically have knocked a half hour down the, uh, the, through the games of late last week. In spring training, they, they went from three – 06 to 236. So that's, you know, that means they've accomplished it. Uh, so, so it's working in that regard. Um, so that's, that's, that's kind of my answer. I, I will also throw this out. I love baseball as you guys do. And, and I love taking my kid to the game and I'm going to love taking my grandson when he's a little older. I don't mind being at a ballpark for a little while. Like, Let's not go too far with speeding it up. Like, you know, you, if you live on Long Island, you go to Yankee or City Field, it's a schlep to get there, and there's traffic. I, I don't want to turn around and go back out sure. that quick. So I don't mind being at the ballpark a little longer. So I don't want to see them speed it up so much. So, like, I don't mind if it's three hours. I, I like being at the ballpark. So I hope it doesn't get to be, you know, that they do, don't do anything else. No, if it's three hours in this action, Bob, I don't think anybody minds, but three hours of watching guys walk around behind the mound and step out and adjust their gloves, that gets a little bit old. So what about the thing with the throwover limit, Bob? Two throws over to first, when a runner is on first, you okay with that, and is that going to have a desired effect? Uh, I'm not really okay with that. Um, I wasn't a great player in high school, but I was a good base runner. Unfortunately, I couldn't steal first. Um, but <laughs> I, I feel like the base runners have an enormous advantage. Only two times to throw over. After you've done that, you can get such a huge lead. Um, so, I, I mean, I know they want to increase stolen base. That's why they've made the bases bigger. Uh, so I, I get it. Um, will it go overboard in the other direction? I'm not sure. Uh, so I have a little bit of concern because basically after you you did your two throws, I mean, I don't even know exactly if you're even allowed to just step off. If you can't, I mean, that's a huge advantage for the base runners. And, you know, the teams weren't didn't reconstruct themselves with that in mind yet. But if, if, it, if it really makes the stolen base be much more of a factor, you might see rosters being uh, structured differently uh, going forward. I, I don't know if that's... I don't know if we have gone too far the other way, so I can't. I, I would say thumbs down on the two throws over. So we're getting some great feedback, Bob, from uh, from all over. 
My friend Ed from Northern Connecticut was chiming in saying he loves your idea that we were talking about at the beginning, but maybe even think about after the seventh inning stretch. But what I'd like to ask you is, um, when we first had you on a little while back, um, the idea of the, the runner at second, the ghost runner, uh, we talked about, and, and you were not a big fan, if I remember, of that, nor was I. Um, have you changed anything on that, or is that one of those things that, as a, as a purist, that's got to go? Oh, my teeth are grinding. <laughs> I, I still hate it. It's just so against uh, everything that you know about baseball. You have to earn your way into scoring position. You don't just get handed a runner at second. I know it, it's extra innings, and then the other sports have some rules that are different in overtime. Um, you know, hockey and football dramatically different, and basketball, at least it's a shorter period. So I get I get it, but I don't like it. Um, I just don't. I just think it's such a sacred thing to get a run to second base with no outs. Uh, I, I I I don't like it. I, I just don't like it. I, I I some people. I thought a lot of people agreed with me, but it seems like more and more people are going um, away from you know are starting to accept it. I just don't like it. It goes against the grain, and I admit that 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 it's you know could be generational. Um, I'm old. And I get it that uh, baseball's changing, and I embrace some of the changes. That one is really hard for me. I just, I just don't like it. I, I think it's not real baseball. You used to have to really, you have to work to get a guy to second with none outs, extra innings. That's earn it some way. Sure. Single, steal, walk, double, double. However, uh, I don't like it. Still don't. Let me ask you about the no shifts, Bob, because you know um, it's basically. For the last number of years, five years, ten years, it's really, you know, tamped down batting averages significantly that some guys can't go the other way. So rather than teaching guys in the minors or even in college or high school how to hit both ways, what we did was we got rid of the shift. What is your opinion on that, and is that going to increase base hits this year in MLB? Uh, so on that one, uh, it's the opposite. My teeth aren't grinding. My my face is in a big grin. I hated the shift. I'm so glad they got rid of it because I don't think that was the spirit of the game. They they whoever invented it, the geniuses, whether it was Cartwright, Doubleday, or or the Trezor Goudon family tree. <laughs> I don't know who invented the game, but whoever they did, they didn't have the idea that you have three infielders to the right of second base or three to the left of second base. What, what that's not the spirit of the rule. And, and right fielders and second baseman playing right suck short right field, not 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 a good thing. I, I hated the shift. I have no problem with the second baseman being right at second base, the shortstop being right at second for a lefty hitter. Um, I, I'm I'm very much in favor of banning the shift. Uh, I'm I'm kind of glad. To me, that wasn't the spirit of the game. I'm to be honest. I don't even know how deep the second baseman does. He have to have one foot on the grass. So well, you know, says, that's interesting. You, uh, they were just talking about this on the spring training game I was watching, Bob. And did you know Tropicana Field is the only one that the distance from the back of the rubber to where the grass, I mean, we'll, we'll use the term grass loosely in this case, starts is greater than all the other fields. So they're going to have to come back and make that adjustment because they want uniformity there, too. They want the distance from the rubber to where the grass starts to be the same. And the other thing they brought up, which I really thought was interesting and, and hadn't thought about, I wanted to get your view on, was do you think 
eventually there will be some sort of restraining line like you would see similar to what you would see on the lacrosse field where the second baseman, let's just say, is not allowed to cross that particular line. If he does, it's considered a shift and he incurs some sort of penalty. I think that they should do it, to tell you the truth. I mean, just follow the rules. To me, I, I'm old-fashioned and a little bit naive. I don't think rules are made to be... Uh, rules are not like records. They're not made to be broken, in my opinion. They're meant to be followed. So if you put a rule in, and all everyone wants to do now is how do we circumvent the rule? I hate that. That's not a good thing in, for human nature. So I would have no problem with putting a, a baseline type of you know white chalk line, however you do it. Um, they talked about a fan-shaped thing from second base, whatever. You know, if it gives them a, a step or two on either side of it to allow it. But, yeah, I think that would be fine with me if if grown men, <laughs> I mean, obviously how much money you make doesn't translate to how intelligent you are, but if grown men can't figure that you can't be over on the other side, put a line up, then you can see. And, you know, don't step on the line, you know. Uh, I would be fine with that. Um, I, I'm, otherwise, I think the shift, banning the shift is a good idea, but we already see some silly stuff like, right, Joey Gallo against the Red Sox, they, they, you can't have the shift, so they just took the left fielder and put him uh, in, in short, short right field, field yeah. as if it was the second baseman when you allow the shift, because they haven't said anything about where the outfielders can position themselves. So, you know, I mean, it's risky. Uh, it's, it's very risky. You would think that you know, a bloop over short becomes a triple with no left fielder, but, uh, you know, and, and, but Gallo is an extreme example because he's, he's just such a dead pull hitter and seems to not be able to go the other way under any circumstances. I don't think it will happen against most. Even pull hitters can, can go a little bit the other way, uh, but that's already people are trying to reinvent the wheel and prove that, that they're the smartest ones in the room and, you know, how about just following the rules? But uh, I did see that in a, in a, a, a game with uh, Gallo. I think it was, I guess, the, the Twins against the Red Sox in spring training that they put the left fielder in short right field. So Gallo's <laughs> listening right now, Bob. I just got a text from him. He said, tell Bob Herzog thank you. <laughs> Who said that? Joey Gallo. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you know. Hey, look, I, 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 the Yankees could use him now with all these injuries. They could actually use a guy that could play the field. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, so, I think, and you, somewhere in there you said, do I think base hits are going to go up? Yeah, I don't, I don't see how they cannot. I mean, lefty hitters will start to get more hits. I mean, you can still pull the second baseman to the first base side like he did when you and I played. I mean, the shortstop can be pretty much up the middle. Okay, so he can still range over and stop some. But it's not quite as drastic. I'm okay with that. Not just because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a Yankee fan, because actually Yankees don't have enough left hitters in their line, left hand hitters in their lineup to suit me anyway. But just in general, I, I mean, I was a righty hitter, so the, I, I, I don't even know what, what it's like to be overshifted. Sure. But I, I think it's good. I think it's good for the game. Uh, you know, talked about action, you know, so three hours of strikeouts because guys, you know, or, or, or outs, more outs because they're hitting into the shift. You know, a few more base runners, I'm fine with that. I'm, I'm, I'm glad the shift is gone. So, Bob, one of the other things then, you know, that has been talked about, obviously, and implemented this year is the bigger bases. Now, the, the, the big brouhaha about that when it first came out was visually it looked like pizza boxes on the field. Um, 
<laughs> everybody was saying, you know, and, and is it going to really make that big of a difference or whatever else? Um, do you see that having really any kind of impact? I mean, obviously it's for safety reasons that they're saying, but do you see that you know that extra couple of inches really having any impact strategically on the game? Um, strategically, no, but statistically, yes. I think since we're going to see the stolen base be more of a factor because of the two two pickoff attempt rule. I think that um, if you remember how many bang bangs plays it seems to be, I think the base being a little bigger possibly will will help. We'll see statistically, but I, I have a hunch it will help on stolen bases a little bit. And you know, if anything for safety reasons, I'm certainly in favor of. Sure. Uh, you know, I you know if, if it means that first baseman won't get spiked in the ankles, which doesn't happen all that often, and if it's if it's um, like uh, for angry reasons, mm-hmm. it's then then it won't prevent that. If if you've got thrown at and you're going to take it out on the other team by spiking the first baseman, which is you know I, I'm not in favor of that, but if that's the motivation, that those extra few inches won't matter. They'll still step on them. Uh, at least it's you know like I I played softball in my later years and we. In the later years, they had two bases. Yeah, the safety one base. Was the, yep. One was the inside the baseline. That's where the first baseman stood on, and one was on the baseline that the runner would go through. Right. And you never had to worry about someone stepping on somebody. Uh, at least we haven't gotten to that. And if a ball is thrown and the first baseman has to come off the bag, go into the baseline to feel that the size of the base won't matter, you could still have somebody get hurt there, either a collision or the first baseman hurting his shoulder. You know how that can happen. The size of the base won't help. I think it will help statistically this, the stolen base a little bit. Uh, but here's a tidbit that I read. Somebody pointed out that the magic of 90 feet between bases and the diamond, which is really a, a perfect square, just turned sideways, that's what a diamond is, it's no longer 90 feet hmm. <laughs> because of the size of the bases, where, you know, where they measure from, right. depending on where you measure it from. It's either 89 feet 6 or 89 feet three inches so that magic of 90 feet you know and it's just sort of part of a lexicon of the sport the language of it for years it's not really 90 feet anymore anything that injects a little bit more action a little bit more offense in the game bob i'm all for you know like uh to get back to your earlier point i don't mind if it's a really really exciting game and if the ninth inning and the tenth inning take a little bit extra time but i don't want to sit through a one nothing or three nothing game that's you know, four and a half hours. It's just absolutely ridiculous. It's too much dead time. I applaud most of these moves by MLB. It sounds like you do too. And let's just get the action back in the game because I'll tell you, uh, I love baseball, but trying to stay up, uh, till 11, 1130 on a weeknight for some of these games during the middle of the week is just gotten, uh, it's gotten to be a chore, you know, and it shouldn't be like that. Right, and I agree, and, and some piss clock will, it seems as if that will knock a half hour off, and, and, and I'm good with that. The other rules, I don't love every one of them. I'm not sure I love the three, the lefties, you know, that's an old rule now, it's a year old. The, you know, for the, I say lefties, but it's any reliever comes in, has to face three batters. I, I think that took away some strategy, but some of that strategy was boring. You pitch one batter, boom, manager comes out the dugout, another guy comes in, boom, boom. I, so... I don't love it, but I don't hate it. I'm kind of in the, on the fence with that one. But, yeah, I, I think that baseball is trying to be progressive, and we know that for years we've been, you know, that we haven't seen them be progressive. You know, they did the DH, and they did some a few things, but and in inter, interleague play, which I still don't love, 
But for the most part, baseball kind of was static. So I applaud them for trying to do something to speed it up. And, you know, you do want to have the younger generation uh, get into it. And so it's all about action. And I'll tell you a very fast story. I have a six-year-old grandson, and he, he's a little prodigy. Please remember his name because uh, I won't be around probably when he makes it big. But his name's Fusco, not Herzog. It's my daughter's kid. Okay. Leo Fusco. He is really good. And he has a terrific swing. But he's playing soccer now, and he's, he's six, and he's playing with the eight-year-old soccer. But nice. he even said to me, Grandpa, I love baseball, but, man, there's so much standing around, standing <laughs> around, standing around. And he's right. So, like, I, nobody loves baseball more than me. But it wasn't. it's not a great game when you're five or six. No, it's not. It's really not. not. You don't move. You, you stand around. They hit it to one side of the field. Usually the entire rest of the field is not touching the ball. And when you're at bat, they, they just let everybody bat once. And they only let them one, run one base at a time. Sometimes they let them go to two. And then in between, what are the kids in the dugout doing? They're literally playing in the dirt. Yeah. yeah. Nah, it's... So it's the nature of baseball and the nuances and the strategy and paying attention and being into the game. They're lost on kids at that age. So when you're really young, baseball is not a good game. So if they can speed it up so at least the younger kids will want to watch it, then they'll want to go out and try it, uh, that'd be great for me. Bob, we always appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much for coming on with us and giving us some clarity regarding these new rules, and we will talk to you along the way, okay? Yep, great to talk to you guys. Keep up the good work and say hi to Chuck for me. I sure, I certainly Thanks. will. Thanks, Thanks again, so Bob. much, Bob. Always a pleasure. Talk to you again. All right. guys. So some great feedback from Bob. I mean, obviously someone who has been around the game as long as he has. And no question. I mean, it's it's really it's very interesting. It's got to be. Um, it's he he was making a joke about you know gnashing his teeth or whatever. But I'm thinking to myself, you know, games that I've watched or whatever. You know, I mean, I kind of grew up more on hockey. I mean, I, I was a baseball fan, but he's he obviously has seen baseball way longer than I have. But if if there were major changes made, I I would I would just be you know devastated because the game. The game is the game, and and baseball, you know, the rich tradition. He was kind of making light too about you know the ninety feet. That's that's kind of uh, important because it is. It's the lexicon. It's in everyone's brain. Ninety feet, you know, the the diamond, the 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 circumference. You know, all the mathematics that goes into baseball. It's it's not really romantic, but in some ways it is. It is, Mike. And you know what? I mean, Bob made a good point. What I thought was a really great point. When this game was designed by Doubleday or whomever, it was designed with specific dimensions that if you are, let's say, an above average runner and you hit the ball in a certain place, the, the play at first base should be boom, boom. That's, that's what it should be. And that, there's something right about that. There's yes. something that feels really good and really genuine and and really timeless about that, you know, without sounding corny. It's like that's the baseball we grew up with. We just want to take that game that you and I grew up watching and loving and playing and really start to speed it up because i got to be honest with you, Mike. As I said to Bob, I am tired of watching guys walk around behind the mound after every pitch, adjust their batting glove. That does nothing for me, Mike. And and honestly, if it's a a four-and-a-half-hour game that is 14-13 or whatever it is, (laughs) and and it's a slugfest, okay, it's a slugfest. I'm there for it. But I cannot do... Uh, three to one games that are, that wow. are four and a half, four forty-five. It's just, it's gotten too, it's gotten too bloated and we can't do it. Absolutely. 
So you know what, Mike? You and I love when one of our guys, and when I say our guys, I'm talking about Cap, I'm talking about Chris, I'm talking about Johnny, I'm talking about Declan, has some stuff going on outside of the great work that all those guys do on this show, and um, it's exciting. So we're going to bring on one of our guys right now, Declan, who's been our Yankee reporter, has been our giant reporter, and is now going to be hosting his own podcast. He's co-hosting with Chris Williamson from SNY. We welcome in, him in now. Declan, Mike, and Mike, how are you, buddy? How's it going, guys? Happy to be here. Thanks for having me, as always. So tell us about the new show. It's going to be on Wednesday nights, and uh, 6 o'clock, is it? Yeah, it's going to be Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, uh, on Facebook, Twitch, uh, Twitter, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify uh, as well. It's going to be with Chris Williamson, as you mentioned, uh, Emmy-nominated broadcaster, uh, sports broadcaster uh, for Amazon Prime and CBS Sports, uh, formerly of SMY, uh, as well as Andrew Kahn, MLB Marathon writer and co-founder, um, and myself, so... You know, happy uh, as well, appreciative of the platform to uh, to promote it, um, and and happy to share it with you guys. Of course, of course, your contributions have been great to us over the two years we've been on, and we're more than ha- happy to help you promo it. So, what's the first date? Our first show is going to be on Wednesday, March twenty second, so a week from this Wednesday. That's awesome. So while we have you for a couple minutes, Deck, a um, lot of conversation over the last couple weeks about Danny Dimes, uh, not worth forty million bucks a year. What are the Giants thinking? They paid him too much. Um, crazy, crazy money for a guy who had fifteen TDs, and and you heard all this stuff over the last couple weeks. I'm sure you heard more of it than we did. What was your take and reaction to that? Well, I thought the Giants did what they had to do. Uh, Joe Shane was pretty adamant about not wanting to tag Daniel Jones um, based on the ramifications that it had with the salary cap and how he wanted to build the team over the next year. Uh, they got the deal done, um, and they did a good job. Listen, the original report that came out was that Daniel Jones was looking at $45 million a year. A lot of people read through that and uh, either thought it was, one, leaked by Jones' former agency or just bait for him to get the actual price which he wanted the latter of which seems to be the case as the Giants and Jones settled in at $40 million. Uh, this isn't a deal that, while it's very favorable for Jones, it's definitely favorable for the Giants as well. They got all the guaranteed money, $82 million. Uh, they got it all out of the way after years one and two. They can move on from him after the 2024 season uh, and really not have major salary cap ramifications, uh, and they can get rid of him uh, if that deal which would be after Dable's third year uh, if they decided Daniel Jones was not the guy that they envisioned when they signed him to this $160 million contract. Yeah, it's a great point, Declan, because it's kind of like the, the new the new form of contract in the NFL where you are, you're guaranteeing a lot of money, uh, but it, it is somewhat cap-friendly, and you know after a couple of years, if it's not working out, then you can kind of move on. But the realities are that the skilled positions, you know, that's where the, the big money is. So in keeping with that, um, what were your thoughts on, on the Giants franchise tagging Saquon Barkley? It was kind of a foregone conclusion, I think, that one of the two was going to be franchised, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And it seemed like, uh, again, Joe Shane not wanting to tag Daniel Jones. Uh, it seemed like Barkley would be that guy. The Giants um, were 
negotiating with Barkley's camp all season. He had originally turned down an extension rumored to be uh, estimated around $12.5 million. Um, the Giants and, and Barkley were not necessarily close in an extension north of that, and that's kind of why they settled in on a tag. Well, he, he he was an integral part, obviously, of the offense along with Daniel Jones, and, and keeping them together was paramount. On the open market, I don't know what he might fetch. It, it was interesting. Mike and I had talked about this the last time we were on, that there were rumors that you know, perhaps the Bills would be interested in, in Barkley because he would fit. Or now there's you know there's different things going on in the trade market with 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 running backs, but. Um, I think they did a great job solidifying those two spots. Just a general question for you, Deck. With your program that, that you're going to be, uh, you know, debuting and congratulations on that. Is there any kind of specific, absolutely, is there any kind of specific format that you're going to follow or, you know, certain types of, 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 you know, regional sports or where are you at with that? Yeah, absolutely. So the name of our, um, pod is going to be, uh, Beyond the Field of Play. Uh, and we're going to look at New York sports, um, at every level from pro sports to college sports. Uh, as well as the high school sports in the area as well. So, Coach Mike, be ready for when. Um, listen, I'm ready, man. Absolutely. Any any time you need, I love to talk about my team. That's for sure. Absolutely, 100. percent We'll uh, look forward to having you guys on when you go on your annual run uh, every spring. Um, that said, uh, and fall, uh, winter, excuse me. No, know, I got you. Uh, absolutely, no problem. All season. Um, uh, and we're going to follow national headlines as well. So while we're going to be geared towards New York sports. We're also going to focus on the biggest stories in sports all across the country. The podcast is called Beyond the Field of Play with our buddy Declan Krogman, Chris Williamson from SNY, and Andrew Kahn from MLB Marathon. Deck, we're so glad, we're so happy for you, and we're glad to help you promo it. We will talk to you along the way. Thanks for a few minutes. Thank you, guys. Keep up the great work. Appreciate it. Absolutely. All the best with it, Deck. Appreciate you. Thank you. We're going to step away, folks. We'll be back with Chuck Everson in just three minutes. To Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. Welcome back to Sports Talk New York right here on 1240 AM. WGBB, Mike Trezor, Mike Adome with you until 9 o'clock tonight. And right now, we're going to welcome in former NCAA Division I men's basketball champ at Villanova, out of Brentwood, New York, and now the host of the Big East Rewind podcast. We're lucky to get him, Mike, on a selection Sunday. Chuck Everson. Chuck, Mike Trez and Mike Adone. 
How are you? What's up, guys? How are you? All right. Everything's good. How are you guys doing? Great. Great to have you. So let's get right into it, Chuck. Xavier, Creighton, Marquette, UConn, Providence. Did I miss anybody out of the Big East, or is it just those five? I think it's those five, yep. Yep. So out of those five, Chuck. Considering the season, it was a great representation for the league. I, I thought it was great that we got five. Yeah, no, no question. Um, which of those five right now on Selection Sunday would you think has the best chance of going on a run, maybe Sweet 16, maybe even Elite Eight? Um, I, I tell you what, you know, Marquette's a hot team right now, and, you know, it's all about getting hot, getting into the tournament. I also think, um, I also think UConn can make some noise, and if Providence gets by their first game, I think they can make some noise as well. So, I, I, you know, I always root for the Big East teams come this time of year. You know, even when we were playing, um, we always root for um, the Big East uh, guys against the everybody else. It was an us-against-them kind of thing, I guess, you know. Chuck, this is Mike Ronan. I, I just wanted to say hello, and it's a real pleasure to have you on. You know, I, I was a big fan of, of your 85 team, as were so many people that, that fell in love with it, and having you on is a real treat. Uh, I got other questions that I'll get to in a second because I don't want to, I don't want to show the fandom too much. But, um, looking at the tournament here, you know, in general, obviously, you know, it's expanded now with the, with the first four and, and, you know, it's all about TV and, and, and whatever else. Yeah. I, I'm lucky enough I have the bracket in front of me. Is there any, is there any top team that you see, you know, one, two seed, who you could see maybe kind of flaming out at this point or, or might is a little overrated and might not be playing I, their best? I'm not, I'm not sold on Purdue. Yeah, I, I, I watched them a little bit today. I, I'm not sold on those guys. Um, I kind of like UCLA to make some noise. Mm-hmm. I like Alabama to make some noise. Houston was good last year. They went to the Final Four last year. Um, I don't know if they're going to get there again, but um, they're pretty good. I mean, there's, there's always teams that are close. Gonzaga seems to, you know, get through the tournament, and then when it gets down to the end, they never they never quite get to the very end. Uh, so they're, they're, you know, I, I think it's going to be an interesting tournament because I don't think there's any real clear-cut winner. Um, there's no one dominant team, that's for sure. You know, we've been trying really hard, Chuck, to put a local spin on this because we do essentially all New York sports. We were hoping Hofstra was going to make it to the tournament, and they didn't. Um, When watching the selection show earlier today, it seemed like they thought Rutgers was one of the last, you know, one of the first four out or whatever term you want to use. What was your opinion about them and whether or not they should have made it? Do you think the committee got it right with that one? Uh, you know, tough call, uh, to be honest with you. You know, I love Steve Peichel. Um, he's, he does, he's done a, a, a fantastic job at Rutgers. He did a great job when he was with Stony Brook as well. Um, I think that could have went either way. There was a couple of losses late that I think hurt them. Um, I, I forget who they were up big against, and they wound up losing the game like maybe a week ago or two, you know. Um, but I, I think uh, that really hurt them, you know, down the stretch. They had a couple of losses where if they would have won those games, they would have, you know, obviously they would have been in. Um, yeah, it stinks for them because they, I know how hard they work there. I know Pike pretty well, and uh, I know I know what they do there as a program. So I was disappointed for them as well. 
Yeah, he's he's really done a fantastic job there, resurrecting that program and, and making them, especially, you know, moving to the Big Ten. That that's just that's a whole nother level that they've had to, yeah, you know, <laughs> to to encounter. Um, staying locally, you know, it, it's kind of a it's kind of an Iona St. John's question for you, Chuck. Um, yeah. Obviously, the St. John's job is open now, and you know, yep. as I'm, I'm, as a coach myself, you know, high school level, but I'm very interested in that dynamic. Um, the big name out there, Rick Pitino, do you see that possibly happening where he's going to St. John's, or is that you know, is that just something that that's good fodder for the newspapers? Um, I, I can see it happening. You know, Rick's a New York guy; he's a Long Island guy. Um, you know, so I I could see him wanting to get back into the Big East. Um, Iona was nice. It was, it was good for him to get, uh, on that level and have success there. And, uh, I, I can, you know, I can see that doing wonders for the St. John's program as well. You know, it's not an easy gig over there. I mean, no. you know, Chris, Chris is a Hall of Fame player. Doesn't mean he's going to be a Hall of Fame coach as we saw with Patrick too. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and then Mike Anderson did a good job, but it's difficult there. It's a, it's a, it's a challenge, especially now with, NIL monies and the portal and it's, it's very difficult in a big city like a New York or Philadelphia sure. you know, where they have numerous sports teams. You know, they have athletes from professional athletes to pick from to, to do, um, you know, any kind of advertising stuff with. It's very difficult for That's a, great point. Uh, a kid now. You know, and you know, here's the deal too. You know, a kid used to talk about, uh, how much playing time am I going to get? Now they're talking about how much money I'm going to How much make. money, exactly. Yeah, it's a whole different kettle of fish. You know, it's totally different. If they cannot lure um, Patino down there to St. John's, uh, to Queens, Chuck, any other guys that um, you might have heard some names being tossed about, well, or is that well, too everybody's soon? everybody's tossing around Mark Jackson, but I, I, I don't know what, what went on with Mark um, something happened that he was involved with a lot of. He built. He was the guy that built the Golden State Warriors. Oh, no question. At the beginning, and then Steve Kerr took. I'm not saying Steve didn't do his his due diligence and his and his good, done a good job there, but you know, Mark built that team first, and um, then all of a sudden, anytime jobs have come up, he's kind of been cut out of it. So I I don't know what what the rub is with Mark, but you know, and they might be nervous. Um, to go with a former player because they didn't have a lot of success with Chris, but um, you know, I, I would think a guy like that would be would be pretty good. You know, you're talking about you know Georgetown's talking about talking to Ed Cooley. I don't think that that could happen. I don't mm -hmm. think he would leave Providence to go to Georgetown in the same conference. Right. Um, I don't see how that would work, but it's going to be interesting because those two, the Big East is a much better conference when St. John's and Georgetown are good. You know, um, they were they were two of the original uh, members of the Big East, and you know it saddens everybody who's played there that um, that they've fallen on hard times. No, you're 100 percent right, and the Big East is just so different. So I got to get my fandom question in here for you, buddy. All right? Sure. All right. Yeah. So in 1985 NCAA tournament, uh, you're coming in off a loss to St. John's in the Big East tournament. You open up with Dayton. And then, then you start to get, kind of get on a roll. When did your team? When did you really feel like, hey, we got a legitimate shot here to go to the Final Four? Was there? Was it kind of just one game at a time that, that Coach Massimino worked with you guys, or was it that you really felt you could get on a run kind of from the beginning? No, it was one game at a time because even before the St. John's loss in the tournament, we got we got our butts kicked by uh, by Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh the yeah. last game of the season. 
you know, we lost by by a ton. And coach said that uh, he said, "I'll give you two minutes to play." Um, they didn't play, and they he pulled the starters. And uh, <laughs> it was the first and only time that the Chevrolet player of the game went to the, the whole second team. Wow! So, uh, so we so that started. Everything got serious at practice at that point. Then we had Dayton on their home court. We eked by them. Um, I think, though, to answer your question, uh, once we beat Michigan, and they were a one seed, yeah. once we beat Michigan, we said, hey, uh, this could this could be something special uh, at that point. because uh, and, and that game was played on St. Patrick's Day. Oh, wow. And we had, we had our trainer, Jake Nevin. Yes. Who was with, he was at Villanova since like 1927 or something. And, um, he kind of resembled the leprechaun. And what he <laughs> did was, uh, he told Roly, he said, Hey, if I think we're winning, we're going to win this game. I'm going to put this. He had like a party, uh, leprechaun's hat. <laughs> So, like, with three minutes to go in the game, he felt we were going to win. He put the leprechauns hat in. CBS had pictures of him. That's right. Saying, like, Jake Nevin, you know, Villanova's got a leprechaun on their bench. And as it turned out, he he was our own personal leprechaun. So I said, hey, there's some forces at work here. We could maybe do make a run. Oh, that's funny. That's outstanding. Uh, but, Chuck, I want to ask you, because, you know, obviously, not just Mike, but also I remember uh, when the Big East, honestly, was king in the 80s. I mean, in 85, yeah. when you guys won, three of the final four teams were Big East teams and such great Georgetown and St. John's and Nova teams and, yep. and UConn and Sierra. I mean, the Big East was the deal back then. And now it seems like the whole conference has fallen on hard times. Do you feel like it's a cyclical kind of thing, like the Big East um, will be back? Or what does the Big East need to do to put itself back on par with some of the top conferences again in the country? Well, back in 85 was the heyday of the conference. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, we almost had four teams, uh, B.C., Lost at the buzzer to Memphis State. I think they would have beat Oklahoma as they got to the Elite Eight game. Um, it could could have possibly been four games in the final, four teams yeah. in the Final Four. I, I think you know with the movement with football kind of uh, destroying um, the conference in, in so many ways. By by we lost Syracuse, we lost Pittsburgh, we lost BC. Um, I think that that uh, that didn't help at all. And then, you know, I think they've done a good job of putting the conference back together again uh, and making it a basketball-only conference. And I think I think some of that is secular. Um, you know, I think Villanova has done a good uh, – Jay Wright in particular has done a really good job of helping to build the, con- you know, build the conference by winning as much as he has uh, in the last, you know, seven, eight, nine years. Um, you know, I think that has helped. And I think – You'll start to see teams uh, break out, and it all depends again on you know what kind of what kind of recruits they're going to get. And I think it'll come around again. I don't think I don't think we're dead by any by any stretch. I mean, we got five teams in, mm-hmm. um, so that that's not a bad uh, that's not a bad thing. I think I think there was only um, two or three conferences that got more teams than we did. So um, so it's not it's not as bad as everybody's making it out. It's just it's just different. You know, that's that's the only difference, really, I think. So let's broaden it back out, Chuck, and look at the national picture again. Uh, Mike asked you which of the top seeds might 
go down earlier than expected. Let me come at it from the other viewpoint and ask you, uh, what are a couple teams that the, our listeners might keep an eye out for that are low rated, 12, 13, 14 seeds that you think, uh, can go on a run and well, win a couple you, you games? You guys have, you guys have the, the brackets there, you said, right? Yes. yes. So, so give me a couple of the 13 seeds, because off the top of my head, I don't know. I don't have the sure. Yeah, I don't no have problem. In front of me. Okay. So in the and, third, I, and I can tell you, give me a 12, couple. Uh, give me some 12s and 13. You got it. All right. So in the 12s, we have. <clears throat> excuse me. Well, 13, we have Louisiana, which I, I, you know, I pride myself on being a. A uh, right. basketball fan, but couldn't tell you a thing about them right now. <laughs> right. Oh my goodness! Um, let's see. Uh, and in the let's go with some elevens. How about this? Arizona State, yeah, Nevada, sure. uh, Mississippi State, Pittsburgh. Um, I think Pittsburgh might make some noise. They were they were an ACC yep. team that kind of came out yep. of nowhere. Um, I'll give you another another twelve. Drake in the twelve spot. Um, I like him. V- <laughs> VCU in the twelfth. VCU is a hot club. There you go. I mean, they they won they won the, the conference outright. Yes, you know both the tournament and the regular season. They yeah. could possibly do some stuff. They seem um, they seem a little a little low for for you know for twelve there. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know they they you know it's not, a lot of times the. Um, the, the committee does not give a lot of respect to the Atlantic 10, and I think the Atlantic right. 10 is better than than advertised. You know, it's good basketball. There's some good teams there. Keith Ergo did an awesome job with Fordham this year, taking over for Kyle Neptune oh, yeah. when Kyle came to Nova. Um, and Ergo, you know, they, they did some excitement back in that gym over there in the Bronx, you know. Absolutely. One other 12-seed uh, college at Charleston, which I think they had a real solid season as well. Yeah, and they and they always make noise yeah. in the tournament. They always seem to get a win or two mm-hmm. every see every time, you know. So that's that's a team that I would look out for. Great. All right, Chuck, thank you so much. It's been a while that we've been trying to get you on. Uh but we're glad yeah. we had you tonight and we really appreciate a few minutes from you. Anytime, anytime, guys. Thanks. It's a pleasure. And everybody enjoy your March Madness and uh Hopefully uh, next year we'll be uh, talking about Villanova in the dance. Absolutely. Absolutely. Chuck, thanks, thanks again, so buddy. All right. Take care. Fellas. All right. All right. Bye-bye. All right, Mike, we didn't want to, but we started with hockey. We did it a minute or two on the Islanders and the Rangers. We did some NCAA. We squeezed in a couple uh, a couple minutes on uh, Daniel Jones. Uh, we've almost hit every single thing you could possibly talk about tonight. Yeah. We almost. Did, we didn't get to. <laughs> The Knicks and the Knicks. Oh, of course. Okay. All right. <laughs> and I didn't think I was ever again going to want to talk oh, about I, the Nets. I, absolutely. But you know. But listen, we 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 go back and forth about the Nets all the time. Yeah. Know? Yeah. And since since the last time we've been on, obviously wholesale changes wholesale. in that club. So as as a Net fan yourself, um, obviously the star power is not there, but no. they've been holding their own, and and then some with this group. Um, we talked about. Finding the continuity in their starting lineup and, and where they're going from, but uh, well, not you, just for not just in their starting yeah, lineup, just, Mike, but just their rotation in the right? rotation yeah. generally. And I mentioned this to you before, as we were sitting here waiting for the show to start. I said, you know what, Mike? It's actually in a way more enjoyable now to watch a Nets game. That but was going to be way, my question. Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's confusing because I mean, you can watch 
two games in a row that are a couple nights apart, and you don't know who's coming off the bench. You don't know who's out of the rotation that night. You don't know who's starting. You don't know who's on the floor with whom. And I think Jock Vaughn is doing a good job of trying to figure that out. But the problem is you have 15, 20 games left in the season. You don't have a lot of time to figure that out. Right. I almost well, they they rewarded him with a contract extension recently. Yes. So I almost get the sense that the the powers that be with the Nets are probably like, you know what? If we make the playoffs this year, fantastic. Or we're a five seed, we're a nine seed, wherever they go. I, I think they're saying to him, almost take take the time, use this as the laboratory. So yeah, as a fan, you want them in these final twenty games. Hey, let's get this together and and get it going. I almost think maybe that their philosophy behind the scenes might be not as pressing. Almost in a, in a weird way to be like, let's see what we got, and then wherever we finish, we finish. Yeah, I know that, Mike, but you know me. <laughs> I'm always a big fan of, of course. especially with younger guys. Make the playoffs. Yes. Let guys get, and again, we're not talking about Kyrie and Kevin Durant. Those guys have a ton of playoff experience. Of course. We're talking about a lot of young guys who have not really been there, and if the Nets can nail down one of those spots and get – um Get these younger guys some some playoff run. This is going to be very valuable to them going forward, and also valuable to management of the Nets and the coaching staff in determining who stays on the team, who stays in the rotation, who stays as a starter, and who's passing whom for playing time. I think that's a great point, also, because you know what? Once you get into the playoffs, then you see with the younger guys, can they step up in those? Because playoff basketball is different, no matter what you. Know, People want to say sometimes, ah, well, you know, the regular season. Yeah, especially those young guys, if they're stepping up into a huge role now and, you know, those extra, those extra games that they're going to get, it is, it's, it's invaluable. So really good points. You know what? Durant, Irving, they were able to at least put the Nets in that three, four, five range. The Nets have been able to sustain it now. They're at 39 and 29, um, five and five in the, in the last 10, but on a two game winning streak. So they, they're holding their own for sure. And I don't want to see anybody um, get hurt, Mike, but can I be really honest with you for a go, second? Go, this is going to make just, me sound like a terrible guy. Tread lightly. Tread lightly. I'm going to sound like a bad guy. <laughs> I mean, to Ladies hear, and gentlemen, he's not a bad guy, I promise. To hear that Kevin Durant hurt himself on the layup line <laughs> did not exactly tear me apart. Can I be diplomatic about that? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know what, um, I, I think many, many a fan around the country and probably in Brooklyn said, you know what, uh, not only was it just a, a, a on the layup line, it's like a three to four week injury now. So he's My probably going to be out for the rest of the regular season. I My mean, goodness, the guy's made out of China. My goodness. So yeah, Nets right now, as you mentioned, um, ten games over five hundred, number five in the East right now. And interestingly, Mike, right behind them, New York Knicks, thirty nine and thirty, number six seed right now. You and I have been trying to get the Knicks and the Nets matched up for the three years that we've been doing this show. And um, you know what? If the if the Nets can figure out their rotation, and if the Knicks can do two things. Um, number one, overcome the uh, the Brunson injury. That's huge. And, and get get themselves playing right. Maybe, just maybe. I mean, could we think about a four or five matchup in the first round? You, you could. With Brunson being out, you see that they were on that huge run, and now they've lost their last three. And people are in love with Emmanuel quickly, or at least you know. At times they are. You and I liked him a lot when he first burst on the scene. Absolutely, but 
you were talking about a very, very different team at that point. I yes. think he, I think the guy is really a great trade commodity moving forward, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, but, you know, he, he can fill in. He's dynamic, but really that team is, is, is Brunson and Randall and, and then whatever you're getting on with Barrett now as a third, you know, option. They really have played really, really well. I would hate to see all this hard work and whatever else be kind of derailed by some injuries. Um, you know, down the stretch, but hopefully that's me knocking wood right there that, that Brunson comes back well. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all to think about a four or five. The Cavaliers, um, they, they hit the skids there for a little bit. They, they seem to have right to shoot a little, you know, somewhat. They're, they're four games ahead of the Nets and the Knicks at the moment. Uh, you know, 76ers, Celtics, Bucks, that, that's a whole nother realm. Um, but sure, it's, it's possible. I just would love to see the Nets and, and the Knicks put a little bit more distance between the Heat and the Hawks and, and really kind of close this out here in the next week or two. Oh, there's no question. So people, uh, Nick fans are pointing to two things. Number one, when Tom Thibodeau decided to shorten the rotation and go to a nine man rotation. And really, Mike, I think as a Knicks fan, you're going to, you might poo poo this a little bit, but that long winning streak was synonymous with Mitchell Robinson coming back off the injured list. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's the, for sure. But I, I'm a huge fan of Josh Hart. I think that was a great trade. You know, he's the, the kind of player that, that Thibodeau wants. But yeah, I mean, when you, when you get a shot blocker like Mitchell Robinson or offensive force in the middle in the NBA game, it, it's tremendous. I'll just tell you really quick. I was, I was lucky enough. I went on a quick field trip with, with the kids this week. We, we saw a G League game. The uh, the Long Island Nets. Oh, nice! Yeah, they run like a fifteen game winning streak. Or un- unbelievable, right? But the, you know the one thing you notice is that the guys in the G League they're all tremendous athletes, or whatever. But there's very few huge dudes right. on those teams because yeah. you know why? They they're on the big roster. The big, the big team. <laughs> they're on the big of club. Course. Yeah, you're six eleven. You're not hanging around the G League. I, I mean, know. Let's, no, let's they, be honest. There's here. a plethora of guards, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the big bodies are either guys you know that you never heard of or some some old veterans who are trying to work their way back in. But yeah, that um, Mitchell Robinson back to the Knicks, absolutely. Yeah, but you know, I mean, listen, I like Isaiah Hartenstein. I, he's done a really nice job, but yep. he's not. The defensive force yeah. Mitchell Robinson is good rebounder, um, can play some D, um, you know, is good around the basket, but you know, um, I don't think it's a coincidence that the Knicks started rolling when Mitch came up. But the big question, as you mentioned, is going to be can they sustain that uh, right. Brunson in- so, injury? So let's keep this in mind. The next time we're on, we're in a five and six spot with the with the Nets and the Knicks, and let's see if there's any movement. That's going to do it for us tonight, folks, at Sports Talk New York. Mike Trezor, Mike Adone. Uh, we want to thank Bob Herzog uh, for coming on with us. Great job out of Bob. We want to thank Declan Krogman. We want to wish him well with his new show. We want to thank Chuck Everson from the Big East Rewind podcast for coming on with us. Brian Graves is our producer. Another great job out of him. For everyone here at Sports Talk New York, including my partner, the coach, Mike Adone, this is Mike Trezor thanking you for listening. We will see you in two weeks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.